It's the Access Health Radio Mailbag Show today. Dr. Brian Forrest answering some common questions he's been receiving from you, our listeners. Welcome to the Access Health Radio Show. I'm Dr. Brian Forrest, and this week we're going to be answering your questions on Access Health Radio. Dr. Brian Forrest is a board-certified family physician with Access Health. Healthcare in Apex, North Carolina. I'm Mike Davis. Thanks for joining us on this Sunday afternoon. We'd like to take just a moment to acknowledge the companies that support Access Health Radio. Thanks to Marley Drug in Winston-Salem for supporting the show. They mail order generic medications directly to your home with free shipping, often at costs that are even much lower than the big box pharmacies. They also now have a membership program that guarantees free delivery of most generic medications for only $5 per month directly to your door. Check them out at marleydrug.com, or you can check out the membership plan at gomd.care. Again, that's G-O-M-D dot C-A-R-E. And Dr. Forrest, I know that uh, during the week you receive some questions. Sometimes they're a follow-up to a topic that we have talked about here on the air, or sometimes it's uh, something unrelated. Nevertheless, you've got quite a few questions that our listeners have posed to you. Let's dive right in today. So our first question is, what, if anything, can be done to prevent Alzheimer's disease or dementia, and that's one that I really want to know about because that's something that ran in uh, has run in my family, and I lost my dad to complications from Alzheimer's. So, uh, what if anything can be done to prevent these diseases? Well, dementia and Alzheimer's disease are both caused by several factors. Um, you know, family history is important in both. And the two most common types of dementia are vascular dementia and Alzheimer's disease, uh, which people hear about on a regular basis. And as you mentioned, most families have somebody affected by that. Uh, Vascular dementia is the most preventable, and it's usually the result of uncontrolled high blood pressure and cholesterol that has caused the brain to not get enough oxygen to certain areas due to decreased blood flow from blockages. So the most important thing to do to prevent that type of dementia, the vascular dementia, is to make sure that your blood pressure is as controlled as possible. And remember, the new ideal blood pressure is actually a top number of 115 and a bottom number of 75. And we know from a research study called the SPRINT trial a few years ago that every single point over that increases the risk. And that's why the the new uh, beginning of high blood pressure is considered to be starting at 120. And, you know, years ago, we thought that 120 was the normal blood pressure. And now with with, uh, some of this new research, um, it looks like that even at 120, that's a start of high blood pressure. And again, for every single point above 115, you're increasing the risk for strokes and heart attacks. Um, So that's, that's sort of new, but it's also really important because blood pressure contributes the most to strokes and many strokes and what people call TIAs. And it looks like a buildup of sort of chronically not getting enough uh, oxygen and blood to certain areas of the brain is the most common cause for vascular dementia. Now, up until recently, we did not have much that we knew about to help actually prevent Alzheimer's dementia. But recent research has shown that controlling cholesterol with statins can actually significantly reduce the risk for Alzheimer's disease. 
So for all types of dementia, you know, exercising your brain through um, new types of activities like puzzles, crosswords, some people do those Sudoku puzzles, et cetera, has been shown to slow decline um, with dementia. Uh, but it looks like it's really important not to just pick one of those sort of brain exercises. Uh, it helps your brain to constantly, you know, try new things. Um, so you want to switch the type of work you're giving your brain. So it's always trying to, you know, sort of develop some new, uh, new, new tricks and such. Um, so if you do Sudoku for a while, maybe you do that for a few weeks and then you switch over to something like crossword puzzles or you switch over to, you know, something else, but just make sure you're constantly challenging your brain as you get older. And if you're controlling your blood pressure and cholesterol uh, and you're keeping your brain active, uh, those are going to be some of the best things you can do to help prevent Alzheimer's disease or the vascular types of dementia. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. Forrest. That's good advice. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to our next one. And uh, this one is uh, is appropriate considering that we have uh, just celebrated Thanksgiving. This uh, writer wants to know, why do people get so sleepy after the Thanksgiving feast? And I know the answer to that one. I can answer that one, Dr. Forrest. It's because the Dallas Cowboys are on TV, and <laughs> nothing knocks me out more than watching them. So am I That's correct? Right. There, there you go. Well, well, there might be some other reasons, too. Oh, okay. Uh, but, it is, but it is a great and timely question. Uh, there are actually multiple things that contribute to what some people call Thanksgiving Day sleepiness or, you know, the holiday crash. And the truth is it can happen after any family gathering with a, a big feast. So several things happen at those type holidays. Uh, you know, first, people tend to have their meals later in the day than normal. And since they know they're going to be eating a big feast, some people will skip breakfast and wait on that gigantic late lunch. Well, this can cause fluctuations in blood sugar and insulin levels. And after a big feast, your body puts out a huge amount of insulin normally. And then once you stop eating, uh, sometimes there is sort of a mild blood sugar crash if the insulin levels are still high. Um, second, you know, family gatherings of any type can be stressful. And, you know, often people don't get enough sleep the night before these, uh, these events either due to anxiety about the gathering or, you know, because of travel, or maybe they're doing late night meal preparation the night before. So that can make, you know, Thanksgiving afternoon uh, really cause some fatigue. Um, and lastly, and this is the thing that's been talked about for years, um, you know, besides that is that the food we eat on Thanksgiving uh, and the quantity of it also cause a surge in some neurotransmitters like serotonin. And tryptophan is an amino acid that's uh, important in serotonin function and has in the past been thought to contribute to this sort of sleepiness due to the high levels uh, in Turkey. Uh, but there's not definitive proof specifically for, you know, the, the turkey tryptophan. Uh, that's been sort of a theory. Um, but my advice is for, and this is for, you know, any of the holidays or family gatherings, um, you know, get plenty of sleep leading up to the holiday uh, try to prepare early and also travel as early as you reasonably can. That helps reduce stress. Uh, and as hard as it is to follow through on this, you know, enjoy your meal, but try not to overeat. 
<laughs> okay, thanks, Doc. I'll <laughs> I can't guarantee that last one, but yes, I will try to get a good night's sleep ahead of time and uh, before we have some of these uh, big feasts coming up. I know Christmas is on the way, and I'll be doing it all over again. So, thanks so much, Doctor Forrest. I appreciate that. It's time for a break, but coming up, uh, Doctor Forrest, we have got a question on kids and the covid vaccine it's now available for them and so i'm going to be posing that to you i know that's of special interest to you because you have young children so uh, i'll be looking forward to your answer on this and more of your questions coming up for dr brian forrest straight ahead on access health radio This is Access Health Radio on a Sunday afternoon with board-certified family physician, Dr. Brian Forrest from Apex. I'm Mike Davis. We're taking your questions today that you've submitted to Dr. Forrest. And the next one is a timely one, Dr. Forrest. And this is about kids and the COVID vaccine. The question is, would you let your kids get the vaccine or should they wait? What say ye, Dr. Forrest? Well, uh, Mike, this is a a personal question, uh, you know, but in the interest of public health, I will not dodge it. Um, The bottom line is this. Um, The very first day that the COVID vaccine was available for the 5 to 12-year-old age group, I guess 5 to 11 technically, um, that very first day, Uh, that kids that age could get the COVID vaccine. Uh, I went after work, drove uh, my 5, 10, and 11-year-old to the only location in the area I could find it. And with all three, they got it on the very first day that they were eligible. So let me say, you know, I personally don't believe in forced vaccinations, and I think that people should be able to make their own choices However, for my kids, uh, you know, knowing all the things that I've read, um, you know, true and untrue, and knowing all the things, research and studies that have been done, uh, getting the vaccine as soon as I possibly could for my three children uh, was the right choice for us. Um, The older two said uh, it didn't hurt them at all, uh, and their arms weren't even sore, and they didn't have any symptoms whatsoever. And my five-year-old said that her arm was sore. You know, she obviously, she cried when she got the shot. Uh, but within 10 seconds, that was over because we were going to go to ice cream afterwards, right? Uh-huh. And uh, she, her arm, she said, was sore for about a day, but she didn't have any other symptoms as well. And, uh, you know, I'm just thrilled to death that, that they've gotten one dose. Uh, I can breathe a little easier now. Well, good for you. And maybe if uh, I had been promised ice cream after I got my vaccines, I would have not cried as long either. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll think about that when I get my booster, which I'm planning on uh, getting as soon as I can. So, All right. The next question is about things that might help prevent cancer. Are there any natural things or medicines that can reduce the risk of contracting cancers, Dr. Forrest? Uh, Well, this is a great question. Um, First, uh, you know, we have had studies for years that a group of vegetables called cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, kale, cabbage, cauliflower, etc., are associated with much lower cancer risk. In fact, in one of those observational studies, um, it reduced the risk by 82% of cancer 
for people that had daily consumption of broccoli. Now, if I was to tell patients that I had a pill that could reduce their risk of cancers by 82%, they would all want me to write a prescription. So sometimes it's hard to understand why I can't get people to eat a little broccoli every day, right? <laughs> right. Um, but in terms of medications, um, obviously there are medications meant to treat cancer, you know, chemotherapy and those type things. However, uh, there have only been a few to actually show they could prevent cancer. Um, some of those are anti-hormone medications that oppose either testosterone or estrogen. Um, and the other one that's interesting is metformin, which is a commonly used medication um, that's been shown to reduce cancers. And, you know, many people use metformin to treat diabetes. It's an excellent drug for that. Uh, but recently, we've discovered that it can reduce the risk of cancer significantly. And I actually had some of my patients where their oncologist uh, sent a request to me that I would prescribe them metformin, even though they didn't have diabetes or any of those problems, specifically to prevent things like prostate cancer due to a family history. Um, another one that works really well for preventing prostate cancer is the medication Dutasteride. Uh, the brand name for that is Avidart, but it's generic now. Um, but it's commonly used to treat an enlarged prostate gland or what people call BPH. Um, but it's been shown to significantly reduce uh, the onset of uh, prostate cancer. So my general advice is to get first get all the appropriate screenings. That's really important that you screen for all the things you can screen for to find cancers early if they happen and try to prevent them if you can. Um, you can find those at the USPSTF website. That stands for United States Preventative Services Task Force. Uh, I won't try to go through a long link to that, but it's very easy to find if people just put in USPSTF. Uh, they should be able to find the recommendations for screenings there. Um, but my general advice is this. I would uh, avoid excess radiation. Uh, that could be from things like, you know, extra CT scans. It could be from UV light. Uh, but avoid all the extra radiation you can. Um, you know, avoid known cancer-causing chemicals. There are some of those, especially some of the um, solvents like benzene and things like that. Um, eat lots and lots of cruciferous vegetables. And if, uh, if you're at high risk due to family history, then it may make sense for you to get genetic testing um, or even consider some preventative medications like metformin or anti-hormone treatments. And those genetic tests are available at your office, is that right? Yes, we, we, we draw the blood for those tests. We send it to a uh, outside lab called Ambry Genetics, but they, they do all of the gene mutations for every type of cancer uh, where the genetic information is actionable. Um, and it's not that expensive. I always tell people that I'm, I'm, I promise them it's going to be under $300. Uh, but a lot of times if they have a first generation family member, um, their insurance covers it, you know, uh, really, really well. Excellent. All right, Dr. Forrest, it's time for the Access Health Tip of the Week. Well, the tip this week is about cruciferous vegetables. Uh, they actually get their name from a part of the plant that actually looks like a cross or a crucifix. And as a family of vegetables, they have shown to be very important for preventing cancer and health uh, improvement in general, including the fact they can lower blood pressure. Uh, kale, for example, has been shown to be able to reduce blood pressure significantly. Um, I was actually at a uh, heart association meeting, and 
the big talk at the meeting wasn't about a new treatment. It was about how effective kale could be uh, for cardiovascular health. So really good stuff there. Mm. And although it's not my favorite tasting vegetable, there are ways to make broccoli and kale taste good. And I would try to get some of those in your diet each and every day. Uh, there are special sulfur compounds in those uh, vegetables that actually help them repair DNA damage. And they also have some significant antioxidant properties. Very good, Dr. Forrest. Okay, straight ahead, uh, we're going to have some final thoughts with Dr. Forrest today. We're going to give you the contact information as well in case you have some questions for Dr. Forrest. And our Access Health Radio's Trivia of the Week is coming up. Welcome back to Access Health Radio with board-certified family physician, Dr. Brian Forrest. Dr. Forrest has been taking your questions that you have submitted to him over the past several months and answering them here today. But in case you have a question, we want to give you the opportunity to present that and submit it to Dr. Forrest. Dr. Forrest, how can they get in touch with you? Well, if they want to ask questions like some of the ones we've been answering on the show today, they can send an email to accesshealthradio at gmail.com. That's A-C-C-E-S-S, healthradio at gmail.com. And after the show, if they miss the show or they want a family member to be able to listen to it, uh, they can go and check it out at Apple Podcasts. They can also find it on WPTF.com. They can also find a link to that at accesshealthradio.com very often. Um, if they'd like more information about our medical practice in Apex, North Carolina, they can go to acchealth.com, that's A-C-C-H-E-A-L-T-H.com, or they can call 919-363-0190. All right, it's time for the Access Health Trivia of the Week. You know, this may be a shock, but at the Thanksgiving feast, the average American consumes between 2,500 to 4,500 calories. That's the equivalent of four to eight Big Macs all in one sitting. That's also enough calories to gain one entire pound of fat in just one meal. So food for thought. Wow. No pun intended there. Wow. I, <laughs> well, I can't say that, uh, that I consumed all of those on Thanksgiving Day, but uh, yeah, I, I may have overeaten just a little bit. I will admit that. Okay, Dr. Forrest, what are some take-home messages that you would like people to really think about from today's show? Well, first, I hope everyone's had a great Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving weekend and that you have enjoyed your family gatherings and food. Uh, just try during this holiday season not to overdo it too much. Uh, second, try to incorporate some of those cruciferous vegetables, things like cabbage, broccoli, or kale on a regular basis. These are literally natural remedies that can improve your health a lot, including helping prevent heart disease and cancer. And lastly, if you're on the fence about COVID vaccine for your kids, uh, it is your decision as their parents. But just realize that all three of my children, 5, 10, and 11, got their vaccine on the very first day it was available. All right. Thanks, Dr. Forrest. That's all the time we have for today. Our scripture this week is from 1 Chronicles 16.34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Thanks for listening to the Access Health Show, and we look forward to joining you again next Sunday at 4 p.m. Until then, God bless your health.